Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about residue management. If you've got any questions about that or anything else that's going on in your farm, we would love to talk to you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So over the last couple of months, Darren and I have spent a lot of time on the road. And you've probably heard, if you're a regular listener here on Ag PhD Radio, how either I'll be hosting the show one day or Darren will be hosting. And sometimes the other one also calls in. But anyway, Darren and I have been traveling around the country doing meetings with farmers, mostly smaller groups, 50, 100, 150 people, something like that in a lot of cases. And in some cases, we've done multiple of those per day, which has been fun, and it's always educational for us because we get a much better feel for what the crop looks like around the country, what everybody's talking about, what everybody's asking about. So, Darren, let's start this off by, uh, I, I would say, let's answer for our listeners what maybe the top two or three questions have been from farmers around the country in our travels, because I've probably done 20 more and more meetings here in the last couple of months, maybe 30, um, and you probably have done the same. So what, what, what have been the top two or three issues you would say or questions the farmers have had? Well, number one has undoubtedly been weed control, and farmers across the country are struggling with different weeds, and it could be a pigweed species, it could be a mare's tail, it could be ragweed, it just depends on what area you're in as to what that weed Kosha. is. But but the, the answer a lot of times is the exact same one. It's well the first first is a question, well, what's your residual control program? And then we hear just these I don't know, Brian, all, all kinds of different approaches that are ineffective. I, I, I'm actually kind of sad. I'm like, really? Somebody told you that was going to be awesome? It's not going to be. I could have told you that before you used it. But but it's, well, my dealer just sells products from Syngenta. My dealer just sells products from BASF. My dealer just sells products from Bayer. And I think this is where you can run into trouble real fast if you only have one company's best option. Because we've all been to those meetings where a company says, well, our product is the best one out there. It's amazing. It's the best on everything. It's the best in every situation. And we all know that can't possibly be true. Of course, there's going to be situations where one product works better than another and other situations where it could be the exact opposite way. I thought it was interesting. Our, our uh, alma mater, South Dakota State University, did some research work on fungicides. And I remember there are three kind of primary fungicides at that time. And in three consecutive years, it was a different one each time that was their very best in the trial. And I think they were looking at wheat and looking at uh, preventing uh, different diseases in the wheat. And so it's like, okay, one year Syngenta's product was the best. One year uh, BSF's product was the best. And one year Bear's product was the best. Three years in a row. Well, what was different about those years? And if you said, well, I'm always just going to use the one. Well, one year you would have been good. 
but another year you would have been pretty disappointed. And the other year, eh, somewhere well, in between. Yeah, but that one's a little bit tougher, Darren. What I look at with the, all, all these options from the different companies is sometimes one company has something way better for kosher, just as an example, or water hemp as a pre or as a post or whatever. And our whole point here is mix and match a little bit. Well, so it's funny. This Here's the other thing too, Brent, is that, that this three pre strategy that we've talked about for years We've seen the big companies try to market to that and say, we've got one that's got three right in the tank. You're good. Well, it has three modes of action, but are they the ones that work for your weeds? No. So get to know which products are in there. We've got the Ag PhD mode of action app that can help you with this. You can look at that particular product and see which modes of action there are, because chances are at least one, if not two of them, may not work on the weed that you're after. So it's funny, this morning I was reading about origin stories, about how how different companies started, and we very often get the question, how did Ag PhD really start? Well, even before we started on TV or anything, Darren and I were hosting, I don't. in fact, I don't know if you were even there then, Darren, you might have still been, been in college. But anyway, my dad and I were at this meeting, and there were two different chemical reps that were in this meeting, we were at some chem meeting, and the one rep said how great his product was and how terrible the other guy's was. The next guy gets up, says the exact opposite of the first guy. And I, I just said, okay, what do we learn here? Absolutely nothing. So he said, this is a complete waste of time. We need to just do this stuff because we have the information and we don't really care who whose product you're buying, whether it's Syngenta, BSF, Monsanto, FMC, whatever. I don't care. We're just talking about how to get the right recommendation for the situation. So then we started doing meetings around the country and then Ag PhD uh, started after that. Okay, so the biggest question I have probably had is chem supply. Now, some people are absolutely losing their minds that, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world and we're never going to have anything. Look, you're going to have everything. It's not that big a deal. Most everything is out there. It's just buy a little bit earlier than you normally do. Don't wait until May or June to get your stuff because if you do that, then you're probably going to have the same issue that you had this spring where there were certain products that were out at that time. So it's it's not the end of the world. In fact, I, I'd say probably almost half of all the chem supply needed for the United States crop in 2022 is already at retailers today. So again, don't panic. It's not that big a deal. And the only two products that are going way up in price are glyphosate and glyphosinate. So basically the name brands would be Roundup and Liberty. And they're two to three times what they were last fall. And yes, I realize you can panic and, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll just put it this way. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. So you got five or $10 an acre more it's not the end of the world. I just say, when you stop and think about, all right, what do we really need to focus our time on? How can I make five or 10 more dollars or 20 or 30 or whatever? So don't get me wrong. I'm not happy that those products have gone up, but they'll come back down in the not too distant future. It's a short term deal with all these supply issues. Just buy a little bit earlier than normal, especially with glyphosate and glufosinate, and you're going to be fine. Certainly a lot to talk about here as harvest time is in full swing in some areas, just about to start in others. One of the big discussions that we hear about this time of year every year comes around residue management. We'll discuss that on today's program and take your calls and questions too. Stay tuned. 
Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about residue management on today's program. And I know you're thinking about getting the grain in the tank, but I'm really concerned about how that residue is going to be behind the combine, too. I want to make sure we've got things spread evenly. And, you know, also, what are you going to do with that residue? It's pretty early in a lot of areas to be harvesting. We've got a lot of time. We've got a chance to get things to start breaking down a little faster in the field. So what's your strategy? We'd love to hear it. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Iowa first. We got our friend Kelly Garrett on with us right now. All right, Kelly, residue management on your farm, is that a big topic with you and, and your family? Darren, it's a huge topic. It's constantly evolving and it's constantly getting more challenging as well. Well, you like to plant early, and I know we do too. And early planting, it just seems like if we don't get that residue piece right in the fall, we're in trouble and our emergence is going to suffer. I I very much battle it in soybeans, especially trying to get the those beans to germinate through all that corn, the corn stalk residue, especially we keep wanting to take our soybean populations lower and lower, lower and lower. We think there's a, a yield positive to doing that, but all that residue scares me if I don't deal with it. Well, it does. Okay, so you say soybean pops a little bit lower, and that can be tricky for emergence, but corn populations are trending higher in a lot of areas, especially if you're shooting for high yields. And I know you guys are not going to be happy if that yield monitor doesn't say at least 300. So what kind of population do you have to run there? And is that part of the challenge here that we've got a lot of residue because we've got such a high corn pop? Exactly. You know, we're running 36 to 45,000 on that irrigated corn 
all the fertility that's going out there, those corn stalks are like bamboo, and we've got to find a way to break those down and get ready for next year's crop. Okay, so when you get an early season like this, I know sometimes we end up uh, combining and the snow is blowing in the air and everything else, but when it's warm and it's fairly early, we got a lot of time for this residue to break down and we get questions about, well, what do you think about throwing on a little bit of nitrogen or what about manure? Are we going to get enough nitrogen in there that it's going to break things down? What, what's been your experience? Our, uh, our approach this year, it's, it's like I said, it's been evolving a little bit. We have installed Yetter Devastators on all three corn heads. We're really impressed, impressed with the, the crimping fashion that it does. It crimps those stalks about every five inches. And then when we came back to plant this spring, we, uh, we found that those, those stalks were mostly shells. They broke up a lot faster. The next thing we're going to do is we, I, we've identified three products, Decomp from you is one of them, that we're going to mix in our pre-plant chemistry to get those sprayed. And then we found a different model of closing wheel, or not closing wheel, pardon me, trash wheel from Yetter that we can uh, install on our 15-inch bean planters to, uh, to clear that residue out of the way. Okay, uh, I think that's all interesting. You're hitting at it from multiple angles here. I think that's always the best solution. When when anyone tells me, even even if it's me, and I'm like, okay, I have the solution. It's one thing. It's a silver bullet. Nope, it's probably not going to work. But you're talking about, uh, let's do some products. Let's change some things up with the equipment on the combine and also on the planter. You're going at it three different ways. I love the strategy. But one thing in there that you mentioned, uh, Brian and I were just talking about, putting residual herbicides out in the fall. Is that a big, big thing on your farm? How, how many, what percentage of acres will get a pre-emerge herbicide this fall? Probably 35%. Okay, that say. sounds like a good number, right? We were just talking about how we've got to be choosy about where we're going to put those. So it sounds like you've kind of identified some fields, maybe some problem fields or some higher ground you could do it on. It, it is, you know, it's, it's a, a field that traditionally has more weed pressure, maybe has a pH problem that we're trying to deal with. Weeds are becoming harder and harder to deal with, and we've got to get them when they're small. And while the weather's warm right now, they're still growing, and it's great to get that out there and try to get control of all of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Lots of stuff going on this fall. I know you're super busy. Really appreciate your time, Kelly. Thanks for the advice as well. Thanks, Darren. See you later. You bet. Uh, another another person in Iowa we want to chat with is Mark Licht with, with Iowa State. Mark, how are you doing? Pretty good today. How about yourself? Not too bad. We're talking residue management out in fields, and I know as I travel through Iowa, uh, last year there was a lot of corn on the ground with the whole derecho issue. What does it look like this year? Are there a lot of farmers dealing with downed corn out there? Um, as, as far as um, harvest goes this year, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of down corn. We've just had a, a couple of wind events that um, hit some, I'll call them isolated spots. You know, they might be, you know, traveled through, you know, two or three county, you know, in a couple different areas of the state. So, yeah, I think we will see some, um, but I, I'm, I'm optimistic, you know, based on what we, we learned from the derecho, um, we were able to pick up a lot more corn than anyone anticipated we would be able to. So I'm glad you said that because we've, we have talked to a few farmers in the last couple of weeks that are really down and really worried about, Oh man, I probably shouldn't use the word down. They're really depressed about this that, Oh no, I'm going to have a tough time out there. And uh, I'm glad to hear some encouraging words there, Mark, that, you know what, even in one of the worst storms that we've seen, 
guys still did a little better than what they thought out there. So what were some of the keys you took away from the whole derecho thing if you run into issues like that? Can you still get the harvest done and manage the residue well? Yeah, I, I think we can. Um, obviously, the first thing you know that we learned is, is just patience. You just have to slow things down, uh, make sure you get the combine set well, right? And I think most farmers really understand that already, right? <laughs> but, you know, I think the other thing is, is that, you know, we, we learned by getting the combine set right, um, taking our time, we were actually putting that the combine head lower. Um, and so then we were able to, to, to pick it up off the ground quite a bit easier than, than we would have thought. And I, I think in, another portion of that is that uh, just in general, I, I think our equipment's a little bit better. So um, we, we were using various types of attachments um, and that was able to pull that in, right? And I'm sure, yeah, we had more um, corn stalks, root balls, you name it, going through the combine, right? Um, but the, the manufacturers, again, have done a really good job of uh, spreading that residue out on the backside. And, and so when we went through fields and harvested them, um, the, the residue distribution, the residue management really was not an issue this spring at all. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know there was a lot of concern about, am I going to have to do more fall tillage than normal? And it seems like that has been in the past the solution to, hey, I had I got a residue problem out there. I better get after it in the fall versus waiting till the spring. What are some of the advantages you see with that? And, and what are some of the strategies that you're seeing success with? Yeah, so I, I think everyone has, you know, methods that, they, that they're comfortable with, practices that they like to use. Um, once you do get into a kind of a high residue situation and if you stay there long enough, um, you do get this microbial activity that really helps with that decomposition and breaking down that residue. And so I don't, I don't know that we always have to do as much fall management as maybe we do. Um, but you know, by cutting it back and, and kind of sticking with it over time, you know, nature kind of takes its course and ramps up to help us manage that uh, residue um, a little bit easier. Um, you know, and then, you know, obviously in the spring, that residue is a little bit more brittle as it's overwintered, right? And so uh, anything we want to do in the spring, we should be able to do fairly easily as well. And then, you know, again, just making sure that we've got the planter set up to go through higher residue situations is really the key there. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and you're right. There's been such an improvement in the industry with the equipment that we've got to run that it definitely makes it easier. Now, I, I get it. Everybody that's a generation or two older than me is saying, ah, you guys have it so easy out there. No, we get some challenges. And, and Kelly Garrett was just on. He was mentioning higher corn population. So there's just more residue to handle. I'm sure you get those questions too. Our guys are raising 300 bushel corn now in some areas of Iowa. Yep, yep, and yeah, we we know that there's a strong correlation between yield and the amount of biomass we have out there, right? And so um, as we keep pushing populations, as we keep pushing production in general, yeah, it, it means that we have more um, corn residue out there to manage. And so um, it's how do we do that? Do we look at, you know, a, a different rotation? You know, soybeans, you know, they can come through corn residue really nice and easily, um, maybe a little bit more of a struggle or more of a penalty if we're if we're following back with corn, right? So, um, yeah, we can we can try to manage that residue or utilize that residue a little bit differently um, in our rotation if we can. Oh, but corn and corn is so much fun, Mark. We we just want to keep doing that. Uh, talking with Mark Licht here with Iowa State University, Mark. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about residue management. So I'll just throw in a few things here. I would say almost most importantly is spread your residue evenly because I'm not just thinking about this year. I'm thinking about next year. If you don't spread it evenly, you have piles, you have windrows, then you end up, unfortunately, with delayed emergence, in some cases even poor emergence because you're hairpinning residue, there's just excess residue in some areas and not in others, so you have uneven emergence. Those are things that we do not want. And even this year, you, we could see it on our own farm where we had done silage last year in some fields and we left some strips just so we would have 
grain harvest there. Well, even where we left the strips and came in and strip tilled, that those plants were still slightly delayed. Now, I don't know that it hurt anything. I, I seriously doubt it uh, in terms of yield. But I'm just saying, if you want the very fastest emergence, you want it relatively clean out there, but you certainly need it spread evenly. No doubt about it. And we saw this year just some problems with some of the earlier planting. Everybody's everybody's all for that. And so we've got Chris Larson on with Case IH to talk to us a little bit about this, how to set yourself up for a great seed bed and a great early emergence in your crop next season. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, good afternoon, uh, Brian and Darren. It's good to talk to you, and thanks for having me on. You know, one of the things I see, Chris, and you know a lot more about tillage than I do, but but one of the things that I see is people are worried about dealing with the stocks this fall and not necessarily as much thinking about, man, I could have a great seed bed so I have even emergence out of my field next spring. So what are some of the things we should be looking for as we get doing some tillage this fall? Well, I, and I just back up just a second, if I might. You know, I couldn't agree more with Brian about uh uh, that evenness of, of spread and, and, and making sure that you get get the uh, the spreader set correctly on combines and, and so forth as fall as you head to the field. It's, you can't undo uh, what that does with any sort of tillage tool because uh, uh, it's just it, it, it's going to be there and it, it just can't move it further. But uh, you know, once you get that that pass done with with harvest, you know, getting to the to the fall tillage piece, you know, it's I've seen a lot of different methods and. and you know, as we move further north, the need to make it blacker and try to to bury that residue um, you know, is going to be probably a little more critical for that warm up and that even emergence that Brian was referencing a little bit earlier because it just needs that temperature and and, and having a good uh, good profile there. Um, and then done with a variety of different uh, different tools. I one of the the, the most um, uh, you know, one that can do the most is, is probably that uh, a deep ripping application that. It's got uh, discs on the front, uh, the Italo Tiger, for example, that'll be able to bury and, and also it'll break up compaction. But that's, that's probably the most aggressive one uh, out there, all the way down into the high-speed compact discs, uh, you know, the speed tiller product that has a little bit more aggressiveness to it, uh, but really just there to cut, mix, and bury um, that residue and give us that even profile in the spring. You know, that we did get a chance to try out your high-speed disc, Chris, and it's different than the other ones on the market. I, I've i been concerned just, just – we've tried some other tools out too, and it didn't seem like the tillage floor was very even. We did like Case IH's high-speed disc. What's different? Why, why are you getting an even tillage floor and the other guys a lot of times aren't? Well, a lot of it comes down to care of placement of blades. Um, and what you're referencing, Darren, is – you know, we're, 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 you know, trying to hit two or three inches of depth or four inches of depth or five inches of depth, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, taking care and placing those blades in the right places on the machine. Uh, in other words, the front gang blades and the rear blades are just indexed correctly to work the whole profile of soil. Uh, and that way, zero inches all the way to, to, to three, four, five inches is all worked. Um, you know, that gives us the best opportunity to, to control root balls and, and, and pull them out of the ground, um, you know, slice them up and, and cut a little bit of residue and mix it in. That's really the key, actually, behind the tool is placing blades in the right place in addition to, uh, you know, a very, very rugged and, and, and robust 
uh, arm and, and spring assembly, rubber torsion assembly. It'll keep the blades engaged in the ground. Uh, it's just, just one of those keys to making sure that we create uh, an ideal profile uh, in the fall to complement spring. Now you mentioned the Kalo Tiger. If we're out doing some deep ripping, I know for me, one of the things I like to do, I'm always carrying a shovel when I'm in the field. I'm always digging and just checking things out. And I just try to identify where that compaction zone is at and then set up the ripper to make sure I'm getting just underneath that so I can break that compaction up. Are there some other keys that we should be looking at if we're doing some deep ripping? You bet. And I think um, you're, you're Example right there, Darren, is perfect. That's exactly how we want to find the compaction layer uh, using a, 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 a spade or, or shovel, digging down, you know, about the bucket pail sized hole, five gallon pail sized hole, and, uh, and, and pulling a pocket knife up the, the side profile to find the bottom of that layer, probably eight, nine, ten inches deep, and you set the ripper just one inch under. You know, the other key, and I, I find a lot, um, you know, those front disc blades. We, we like to see them, you know, basically a quarter of the radius of the blade is kind of a, a rule of thumb. That's probably a little shallower than many will find themselves today at if they just go out and put their tool into the ground. Um, so, you know, you say a 26-inch blade or 24-inch blade, maybe a better example, you know, you're roughly three inches in the ground. Uh, it's about the most ideal place to put a blade uh, for cutting, mixing, and overall efficiency of the whole system. Because the, the, the tractor, you know, that's the horsepower sucking area of the machine, I call it. Um, that's, that's where you can make the biggest difference in speed and productivity. Now, you mentioned getting blades in the ground. I got thinking about vertical tillage tools. We get so many questions about yeah. them, Chris, and there are a ton of them out on the market today. So talk to us about your vertical tillage option and what do you see for success in the fall? What are kind of some of the things you're shooting for? Well, I think... For, for vertical tillage, uh, you know, shallow, fast operation, looking for, for cutting of residue mainly to, to size it down, uh, and then just kind of set the stage for, for just a little bit of soil mixed into it. You know, the key with, with vertical tillage is that speed behind it um, and, and not going deeper many times, at least from what I can see and have experienced than what the tool is really capable of. You know, that's where a normal disc arrow and and maybe the high-speed compact disc comes into play where you're looking for a little bit more depth and blackness. You know, the, the key bind of the 335VT or the Barracuda um, is also to, uh, to reach those depths but not create compaction underneath the blade because um, that's oftentimes where discs kind of get their, get their name or, or kind of a bad rap, so to speak. But um, making sure, uh, you know, with our tool that, it's, that the blades are open, which it's a rigid gang and they will, they're, they're properly indexed, um, to be able to allow really lack of backside blade pressure, uh, which also allows us to run on the edge and also cut uh, effectively uh, that residue, size it down, and, and again, all about setting the stage in the spring and complementing that planter pass. I know there are a lot of guys in the shop right now gearing up here for fall, and some of these tillage tools haven't seen haven't seen the field since last fall. What are some of the things that you'd say to, to watch out for just on the basic maintenance here before we get going? Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a really good question. You know, I think for, for rippers and such, um, one thing I do see ignored often is, is like blade diameter. Um, you know, especially on, on rippers that have, have been set really deep. Um, you know, for example, in the Kyle Tiger, most of the, the audience up in the, the northern uh, corn belt uh, is going to use individual blades. So they're 24 inches. You know, we don't really have a rule of thumb necessarily for blade diameter. 
but uh, boy, if, if you're getting down closer to that 20 inch, I would say you're, you're probably a little little small, uh, and you're not getting as much work out of those blades as you should. Um, so you may consider, you know, maybe maybe throwing some different blades on. Um, I think you know for for um, you know vertical tillage, those those things around settings when we get to the field are really critical. Getting machine level front to front to back, digging behind it, getting your your knees dirty. Uh, and hands dirty, digging to make sure that the, the blades are all running at the same depth, both front and back. I, I find many wanting to uh, to dive the front end deeper than the, than the rear. And, uh, oh yeah, everybody's got sure everybody's got a different level, option you know? of everybody has a different way of how they think that's supposed to run, Chris. And I agree with you. Let's get back right. to yeah. what these what these pieces of equipment were designed to do, and and try to adhere to that as much as we can. Talking with Chris Larson here with Case IH. Chris, uh, thanks so much for being on. Really appreciate the advice, and good luck on your farm this fall too. Yeah, you guys too. Have a great fall, everyone. Be safe out there, and uh, happy harvest. It is a happy time of the year. We're talking residue management. Stay tuned. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPHD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPHD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago Cornhead. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. 
Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Struggling a little bit today. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. Uh, you know, we are just coming off a, a really busy time where Darren and I have been out doing a lot of traveling and speaking and everything else. So uh, then then you jump right into harvest, but that's the way it goes. And we've been getting a lot of these questions about breakdown of residue and what can we do to speed it up? Because, I mean, let's face it, hopefully we are all getting higher yields. I'm not saying necessarily this year, but on average over the last 20 years, our yield's been going up, which means... We typically have more residue to deal with. So how can you break that residue down faster? So here are usually the things that I talk to people about. First, consider harvesting a little earlier. In other words, take your beans out, take especially your corn out just a little bit wetter. I'm not saying it has to be a lot, but even a few extra days that the residue can break down in hotter temperatures, that makes a difference. Might not seem like much, but even a couple, three days certainly can help. Next thing is consider a little bit of nitrogen and sulfur. Now you can test your soil, you can test your residue also for your levels of nitrogen and sulfur. If you, and, I, and I, I'm just going to use this word, don't be offended, but I, if you are starving your plants for nitrogen and sulfur, they are that residue is not going to break down as quickly because it doesn't have the amount of nitrogen and sulfur it needs at the end. So if that's the case, then you could go spray some nitrogen and sulfur out there. I'm suggesting like 50 pounds of nitrogen, 10 pounds of sulfur, something like that. So nothing too huge, nothing you have to worry about. Oh, it's going to leach away and disappear. No, what's going to happen is the bacteria are going to use that for food to help break down the residue faster. Okay, then tillage, obviously, I think we all know that for faster residue breakdown. But if you're trying to avoid tillage, then we're just going to talk to you about really good soil life. So, yes, you can use microbes. There are different products out there, like we use a product called Decomp that absolutely helps break residue down faster. But to have good soil life in general, what does that mean? Well, the first thing that means is having a good amount of air in the soil. So you can flip that around and say that means I can't have excess water or, or a, an excessively high water table in my ground. If I have that, then I'm going to have poor air levels in the soil. So you have to make sure that your drainage is good. You want to have your pH preferably in the sixes. If not the sixes, really close to that, okay? Then good fertility levels. And I'm not just talking NP and K. I'm talking about all the micronutrients. Have your soil fertility balanced and ample. High calcium levels are really important. If you have good calcium levels, that means your soil is a little bit more porous. Same thing when you have high organic matter levels, because ultimately what you're trying to do is reduce soil compaction out there. Again, we want good air levels in the soil, and we want roots going as deep as possible because the roots are what's going to feed the microbes, whether it's the sugars coming out of the roots or just literally the microbes breaking down the roots. Either way, the point is the more root growth you have in the soil, the more microbes you're going to have in the soil, the better soil life you're going to have. And then the more soil life you have, the faster all this residue is going to break down. So anyway, those are probably my top things that 
I would think about when talking about residue management. I know there's a lot more we could cover on that, but right now we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, got this one from Robert in central Illinois, who is asking about sorghum harvest uh, or commenting, I'm sorry, commenting on the sorghum harvest questions that came well, well, up last okay, week well, about harvesting. Yeah, well, we had a question last week about how should I harvest my milo, my grain sorghum, with a corn head or with a bean head. And we just said, hey, on our farm in the last couple of years, we've used a bean head or an all crop head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, that's, go what, ahead. that's what Robert says. He said uh, he wanted to share the John Deere 853 head from back in the 80s, was previously used for soybean harvest, but it works well for sorghum harvest. And actually, some folks actually are restoring these older heads right now just for that purpose of harvesting sorghum. Hey, thanks for the for the comment on that, Robert. Really appreciate that. And and yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there that are trying some different things. And when we can get information from folks who have done it for a while, that certainly is helpful. All right. Uh, get this one. I'm talking about organic matter. Kenny wrote in and he said, your, your discussion on organic matter in the soil has been very helpful. We're in the turf business and high organic matter can be problematic and lead to more disease issues. Just wondering if we incorporated more sand into a high organic matter soil, would that help with our water holding issue and disease issues? Because uh, <laughs> our organic matter might be too high. Well, yes. Of course it would, but I don't know how you're going to get a whole bunch of sand out there. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing to do. Honestly, what I would consider doing is selling that ground and buying some other ground. You know what, Brian? You could probably get a truckload of sand cheaper than you could get a truckload of MAP, DAP, or potash right now. Well, that may be. But how much MAP, DAP, or potash are you going to put on per acre? A hundred pounds. What we're talking about here is thousands of pounds. So that's where it gets a little skewed. Think, keep, keep keep this in mind. In two, or I should say in six inches of soil, you've got two million pounds of soil. Two million. So, I mean, if you throw like uh, even the map dapper potash, you're throwing 100 pounds out there in two million. It's barely a drop in the bucket. It, it, to me, it's really a wonder that our plants can find that tiny little bit of fertilizer we apply and use it. But to think that we're going to throw even 1,000 pounds or, say, 10,000 pounds of sand out there and that's going to make much difference? No, it isn't. That's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to throw out 100,000 pounds of sand, fine. But what's that going to cost you? It's very cost prohibitive. There's no way that I would do that. I would sell that ground for what it's worth and I'd go buy some other ground that's better where I can raise a lot better crop. That's what I would do. All right. Well, thanks for the for the question, Kenny, and good luck to you. And I know it's oh. different, Brian. That the economics in certain industries are, well, are completely different. They 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 are. But the other thing that I would throw out is I'm going to take back everything I said. If you have a garden that's ten feet by thirty feet, now well, you could literally we're change about the soil. Turf. So imagine imagine the turf grass in front of a ten million dollar building. Do they really care if they spend a few thousand dollars an acre in front of that building to have it look amazing? Of course not. Well, That'd be great. Right. Absolutely. If right. you're on a golf course, I can imagine there if you've got a problem area in a golf course, and you say, you know what, we need to spend ten thousand dollars to fix this exactly. one part of the golf course. Absolutely, exactly. go for it. But if you are the turf producer raising turf on 600 acres, for example, I'd sell that ground and buy other ground 
to raise my turf if I found other ground that would produce it so much better with less organic matter and just uh, maybe better drainage or whatever it is. So yeah, it it's certainly a challenge. You're on the right track. It's just it becomes really cost prohibitive if you start talking lots of acres. All right. Uh, speaking about uh, expense over lots of acres, we're getting a lot of questions about banding fertilizer. I got this one from Russ. He said, is there any benefit putting uh, 1152 beside beans in the ground while I'm planting? We're set up for banding, but we might switch to broadcast. Which? What do you think about the help during this drought time with banding? Okay. So I answered this question actually last week, but I'm glad you brought it up again today because I don't know if I was clear enough last week in saying this. If you get MAP or DAP or any dry fertilizer too close to the seed, you got a real problem. So we love having good amounts of fertility there for the crop. But especially in drought years, you have to be careful about where it's placed because the drier your weather, the more salt is going to hurt you. And fertilizer by very definition is salt. Never forget that. Fertilizer is salt. So certainly there are low salt products, but there, I mean, you you can't escape this fact that you're going to have to deal with that somehow, some way. And it's even worse when it's dry fertilizer, because now not only do we have the salt pulling moisture away, we also have the fact that it's dry pulling moisture away and trying to break down. So I'm fine with banding some dry fertilizer. We've done it with the planter before too. We just try to keep it a ways away from the seed, not in furrow. Two by two at a very minimum, but we've done stuff like three by four or four by three. I don't remember exactly what it was that we used to do years ago, but that that's fine. You just always have to be a little bit careful with the rate when you're banding relatively near the seed. Now we do a lot of strip-till stuff deep, and we'll place a fair amount of fertilizer down there, so you can do it. If you start talking about, hey, i got to build this huge area, that's where we really like broadcast, but feeding the plant in a short period of time, banding's great. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Bill wants plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools. 
gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. And, you know, the fertilizer topic is big right now, and it should be. I got this one about nitrogen, and I don't know where Ty is at. Uh, and this, a lot of times, is is part of this answer, too. Ty, Ty said, I just bought a Soil Warrior strip-till machine, and I was wondering how and when to apply dry nitrogen. I currently have Conceal on my planter, so I can do two by two, and I like to use some liquid 32% nitrogen at that timing. Would you do strip till in the fall with nitrogen, or would you wait till the spring if you were applying in? Spring. That's what we do on our farm. Now, if you want to put a little bit out in the fall, that's fine. Just don't get very carried away. We always have to worry about, all right, when are we going to plant in the spring? Are we going to get rain? When is the ground going to freeze up? We the, the, the point is simply this. You just don't want to put fertilizer out there and then lose it because not only is it an environmental concern, but it's a concern for your pocketbook. So be careful about that. So, yeah, I, I would just say on our farm, I mean, we might put 10, 20, 30 pounds out there. It's no big deal in the fall with the strip-till rig. But otherwise, we're just putting it out in the spring, some in the band, some in the broadcast, and we kind of go from there. So take a look at your cation exchange capacity. Take a look at how late you're doing the strip-till. I mean, there are you could use a stabilizer with it if you want to. So if you really want to put stuff out in the fall, you absolutely can. I'm not saying you can't. It's just you have to be careful about how and when you do that. And a lot of times for us, we want to start strip tilling right after we've harvested. Well, that might be a month before we really should put nitrogen out there anyway. So we're just putting out sulfur uh, in a very small scale and boron on a very small scale and nitrogen on a very small scale because all those are leachable. We're looking more at potassium, phosphorus, and maybe some micronutrients that aren't going to leach. All right. One other thing that I think should probably get more attention in the fall is a question that Adam from Wisconsin has. He said, we've got issues with box elders, prickly ash, vines, and other types of trees in our fence line and creeping into the edge of the field in the grassy areas. Wondering 
what herbicide could I use to take this out? Whatever the power company is using in the right-of-way seems to work really well. They're being effective with what they're doing, just wondering what would be okay for me? How careful do I have to be about drift into the field? <laughs> well, it seems like he's answered his own question there. I, I mean, he just said, okay, let's not think of it as the power company. Let's think of it as a neighbor that has something that's working effectively. <laughs> I just go ask them and see what they're doing. I, I mean... A lot of times, Darren and I will talk about these brush products, Tordon, Chaparral. They have very long residual. So you can do things like that, but then you have to be really careful for a really long time. If you want something with no residual, that's usually where we're talking about Remedy Ultra. Triclopyr is the active ingredient. Triclopyr is also found in a number of other products as well, like Vastland, for example. So that's probably the direction that I would go. Now, that's not going to kill all trees and all brush, but it will kill a lot of them. But yeah, I, honestly, I'd just go ask the power company and see what they're doing. And if you want to let us know what they're doing, if it's something different than what we mentioned, that would be fantastic. Thanks. All right. Uh, we were talking about what is a bushel on a farm basics, and Pierre was watching that, and he said, I, I wonder when you talk about what is a bushel with the crop sunflowers, I hear a lot of farmers talking about the pounds or the hundredweight. Do they use the term bushels in sunflowers or something different? Go ahead. Well, I agree with you. A lot of times it is hundredweight that I hear about, and especially uh, we, we talk to a lot of farmers that or are pounds. working on different things, and they'll say, yeah, I gained 200 pounds or I gained 200 weight out there. And so you're right. I think they do use the the term the terms uh, pounds or hundredweight rather than using bushels in soybeans. Wait, I, wait, wait. Or I'm sorry, in sunflowers. Sun, sorry, yeah. sunflowers. And it is it is interesting, though. I mean, as we travel a different country, sometimes they'll measure things in bags or, or other units of measure. It really doesn't matter what the unit of measure is, just knowing where you're at and what the crop is uh, to figure out which terms they're going to be using is important. Yeah, and, and honestly, I kind of hate the bushel thing. It doesn't really make a lot of sense today. It did years ago, but today everything is... Like for corn and soybeans, we always talk bushels, but let's be honest, we all get paid in pounds. So it's how many pounds did you deliver? If you go to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, for example, that will tell you what typically the most common thing is in terms of the unit of measure. So it's bushels for corn or soybeans, but you go to sunflowers and we've got it there per hundredweight. All right. Thanks for the question. I got this one from Rich in Minnesota. He said, guys, I'm about two weeks until harvest. I've got the equipment ready. I've got a little bit of time. And I'm wondering, fall lawn care, what are some of the things that you would recommend if I have the lawn looking amazing? That will certainly help buy me some, <laughs> some grace during my busy harvest season. Well, we're going to think about that lawn an awful lot like we're going to think about a field. And where do we start? By making a field better, we start with the soil test. Now, a lot of times, the soil tests in lawns come out similar in that you need nitrogen, you need sulfur, and you need calcium. So those are usually the three biggest nutrients you're probably going to need. So that's the reason why a lot of people will use ammonium sulfate and they'll use gypsum, those two things in their lawn. That will typically help you there. The other things that I would think about in the fall, weed control is number one. So if you've got any weeds out there at all, obviously if you can stop them now, you're going to have a healthier 
lawn going into the winter because you don't have that competition there and that's that's what we want so my suggestion usually is just 2,4-D. Use the new 2,4-D Freelix. You don't have all the volatility that you would with the old 2,4-D. Just make sure you're using a good strong rate to really control those weeds. So out in fields, we have lots of options, but in lawns, we don't have a lot of options for weed control. That's why I say 2,4-D is probably number one on my list, but number two on my list would be mesotrione. So just like Callisto and corn, there are products that are labeled with mesotrione as the active ingredient for lawns. That works out very well on both broad leaves and at least helping on some grass. So anyway, that's probably what I would do there. I would also think about uh, I, I would think about insect control. Like in our lawns, we'll put out imidacloprid and then we'll rein it in with an inch of water to kill grubs. If you do that, then usually you don't have as many moles, and then. Typically, your lawn is looking a little bit better in the spring as well. So those are the things that I would take a look at if it was me. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, I got this one from Rob in Ohio, and he said, Guys, I'm generally picking my seed before I harvest. I'm trying to get the new varieties and, and specific traits and so forth. I've been using Enlist soybeans, but I've been hearing about poor stress tolerance and, and other things around Enlist. I, I don't believe it, but I'm curious in your experience, is it true or is it just marketing? And then also speaking about Enlist, I'm wondering what herbicide program worked the best this year for Palmer and Mare's Tail. I have both of those weeds in most of my fields, but have done a pretty good job so far. Okay, well, you asked two completely different questions there. The, the last question, much easier for me to answer. The best thing that you can do for enlist crops is start with a great pre-emerge herbicide. And I know you say, well, wait a second, I'm spending the money on the trade. I can use Liberty. I can use 240. And now you want me to spend a bunch of money in pre's? Yeah, not only do I want you to do that, I want you to spend more money on a real early post program with good residual. And I, I again, I understand this is going to seem like almost overkill, but if you've got weed problems, and as I drive around the countryside, I see a lot of fields with weed problems, especially in soybeans, just start with the three pre's. Use a yellow, use Metribuzin, and use a PPO, either Authority or Valor. It'll cost you as little as 10 or 12 bucks, cost you a little bit more if you go prowl and no-till, but otherwise 10 or 12 bucks for three of them. And then do two more early post, uh, two more modes of action, use a Group 15 and a PPO, Use something like Warrant Ultra or Anthem Max. That'll get you those two modes of action. So literally, you got five modes of action out there before the beans are six inches tall. And then you've got 99% of that Palmer and other weeds under control. And then you don't have to count on, uh, on that 2,4-D or Liberty or whatever you're spraying later. So that's what worked the best this year. Your other question was about corn and stress. No, no. Uh, enlist, enlist beans, and oh. do they have problems with stress tolerance, enlist or is it something else? Uh, no, there was just a lot of dicamba drift this year, or volatility. All beans are going to have some problem with stress when there's lack of rain, when there's excess salt, when there's excess manure. So, yes, certainly. I mean, every bean has some issue with that. But a lot of what we saw this year was dicamba volatility hitting those enlist beans, and most of the enlist beans recovered just fine. And thanks for the questions, Rob. We really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.